So hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey. I'm very excited to talk to today's guest because not only is he a fantastic award-winning coach, he's a member of the really high-performing team that's driven an amazing programme at Chesterfield Tennis Club. I'm really looking forward to hearing about what makes our guest tick and what the secrets of Chesterfield's success are. So a very warm welcome to Charlie Pick. Hi, Rob. Thanks for getting us on today. Mate, yeah. it's an absolute pleasure. It's great to have it. You know, I know we've had a lot of Derbyshire guests. Chesterfield, very much part of Derbyshire. It's great to have you on here. <laughs> yeah, see if we can release some secrets. Come on. Now then, Charlie, I know we're going to come on and, and very much, I know you're all about team, which is brilliant. And we're going to look at what yourself and the team have achieved at Chesterfield. But it'd be great to hear first a little bit about your tennis journey. How did it begin? And, you know, did you play a lot as a junior? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it was a humble start, a humble start to tennis, I would say. I mean, we I remember watching Agassi on TV win Wimbledon 1992. I think I would have been around seven years old, but I've got visions of that. And we were a lucky family. We had a we had a garden. It was humble though. We I used to play in the garden with my next door neighbour. Uh, very much garden tennis. Didn't know the rules of tennis. Um, very along with that, I remember putting up a board against the wall where the ball, ball would reflect. And not bounce so we just volley to vo volley against the wall that way um it progressed we enjoyed it and eventually our mums took us down to the local tennis club for a summer camp where was that summer. where was that charlie yes yeah, so that was retford lawn tennis club in nottinghamshire me and my friend james again didn't know a lot about tennis went down to our local club for a holiday camp and we both were snatched by it it was great it was um yeah you know, like the, the first sniff of your first school or your first um, your first house or your first your first pint when you get older. It was that first sniff of a tennis club for us, and it was it was something I remember. It was only a humble tennis club, four hard courts, four grass courts, uh, some of the worst grass courts ever. They were a fast stretch from Wimbledon, but it was very much around. I remember it, and it was it laid the foundations for just going somewhere to enjoy ourselves, and it was that sort of that crossover from the garden to not something that was imposing, but just something that was fun. And were they were they welcoming, Charlie? I mean, we know that the first impression can mean so much, particularly in a sport that has a reputation of sometimes being a somewhat silver spoon sport. Were they welcoming at Retford? Yeah, 100%. I mean, as I say, it wasn't an imposing tennis club. It wasn't a big, well-known club. It was big in our town, but it wasn't within the area. And it was very much, it had a nice, I remember it had a wooden veranda on the front of the clubhouse and there was a big social aspect to it there wasn't a big coaching program so there was the holiday camps and then the saturday morning coaching so it wasn't driven by that it was driven by people playing um we all, we as friends went down there after school just to play together it was a safe environment um and also we used to, we were completely away from lta tournaments when it was to set our own little tournaments up between friends and then you know it developed from there we played in the club teams it, it was it was friendly it was, was it I, it wasn't you know, the level wasn't high, um, but we found a way of improving and working together. And we saw some of the better players in the club who helped us along. Like I said, there wasn't a lot of coaching. It was a very like, uh, yeah, you helped each other. Brilliant. And fun was at the heart of it. Oh, that, it was all about, for me, I mean, that's where my tennis journey is and still is. It was fun over anything else. And it was the feeling of being belonging of something. It was the, the friendships. I've still got friendships from that club. I've got you know my um my nephew plays at that club now and if i go back i do know everybody and it is a feeling of it's a warm feeling that was what it, it was over that was overpowering against the sense of 
um, what you described, you know, there's a lot of pressure in some tennis clubs now. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, what, what a start. I mean, fun at the heart yeah. of it. And I mean, was it always the plan to become a coach or what happened? How did you decide on yeah, this I mean, journey? Yeah, kind of like just to go, I mean, as a player, I mean, I played through the club. I was a strong team player by the end of it. It wasn't at the start. It was, you know, mistakes and mistakes and messy learning, as uh, Ash would say. And then I found the way of being a strong club team player. I also remember there was some talent ID went on. Obviously, our club said we'd got some good juniors. So not LTA came down to talent ideas. Uh, we were quickly told we weren't good enough for the, the sort of the county set. It was one of those. It was a very, you know, we were rough and ready. Um but but we 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 played, we were good enough. Like I say, we were strong club players. And then it kind of like I saw tennis as a I definitely saw tennis as an opportunity to do the things I wanted to do in life. So it went along that mold of as I was clear and from the start, I wanted to go travel the world. I wanted to go, I wanted the freedom and I wanted the I wanted to learn skills. And I guess tennis gave me, I knew immediately tennis gave me that opportunity. I knew I wouldn't be traveling the world as a tall player, but I knew that I could travel the world earning the finance to do the bits, the life bits I wanted to do through tennis. So and, I, and Charlie, how, like, because I always thought, you know, I would like, looking, reflecting, I would like to have gone into tennis, but I never really thought of it as the career. How, no. how do you know these things? Who was advising you? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I looked at it that way, though. That's so straight as, yes, so, I mean, there's two parts to it. Yes, at that point, I knew the coaching element would give me those the propulsion to do the things I wanted to do. Did I see it as a career? Probably not. That was stage one of me just going out and expressing myself as a young person, yeah. and the coaching offered me the finance to do what I wanted to do. So yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't actually view it as a career choice. No one advised me to do it. I saw it as the, the, uh, the lever uh, to allow me to do that. It was the effect. The effect that what I could do to allow me to do it. Second part of it was when I realized I'd gone deep in tennis and I'd done a lot of qualifications. You're kind of too deep to turn back. Then I had to say, Do I want to? And the, the idea of being a tennis coach is still a slight, absolutely a little uncomfortable with it. Did I go in to become a tennis coach? I, I think tennis coaches are more than just coaches. And the word coach sometimes doesn't actually express what a coach, particularly at a club, delivers. Because a lot of the time they're in the club, they've got to deliver, yes, the coaching, but it's about delivering, you're getting more members, going to schools, doing so many other things, tasks, the finances, the the marketing, you've got to, and we all know who are involved in those situations. The word coach, I don't think, gives the right, the full expression of what, what maybe you can become. So true, isn't it? You've got to have experience yeah. in finance, accounting, marketing, promotion social media oh, welfare yeah. well-being you know the list is endless isn't it of the skills that it takes to get this label which is coach yeah and i always say i mean i used to say to johnny and andy about five six years ago i used to get them up and they used to say look you just we're more than just tennis coaches you've got to stop viewing yourself as a tennis coach because you're actually limiting yourself to what we can achieve by by identifying yourself so i actually veer away from saying i'm a tennis coach now and i veer more into um, I like the word tennis services is my favourite. You know, I think we work better along that line. Delivering tennis services. Yeah, something like that. Something that just doesn't give you the boundary. Of, because I think when you use the word tennis coach, the boundary is you're on a tennis court and, and you're delivering forehands, backhands, which we all do. But to deliver a big uh, programme, it's more than that. Yeah, yeah. I that hear you. And just go, go rewinding a little bit. Did you get to yeah. travel the world and that? 
Yes, so I set off on my journey. I was, I mean, I was lucky. I was given the support of my parents. They wanted me to go off and do what I wanted to do. I went to different countries, like, like everyone. <laughs> At a certain age, I went off to Australia, um, Italy. Oh, I mean, I went around all, um, Spain, Portugal I've worked in. I still do some work in Portugal, which I really get a kick out of. I get a kick out of going somewhere different, different points in the year. Um, yeah, and I worked in Spain at the, the La Manga Club, which is a famous uh, holiday resort. I did three years out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, tennis opened me up. It gave me, and I sometimes worked in countries, but then that had allowed me to go travel off in a different country. So we often used to go in La Manga. We'd do nine months in La Manga in Spain, and then we'd do three months going off to travel around and see different stuff. So, again, the, the, the facilitator was tennis, but the goal was to go and do what we wanted to do. Amazing. I to I, and you hear a lot, you know, about um, the Spanish way, the Spanish methodology. I, you know, I'm limited experience in it, but I'm a big fan of it. Did, did you learn a lot as, you know, delivering tennis services when you were in the other countries? Oh, hugely. Yeah. I mean, I, look, we picked up, I picked up ideas of how I think tennis should be delivered. But what you've got to recognise is it's also dependent. The, the experience I had in Spain was more around the holiday industry. Mm. So it was basket fed and it was um it was a lot of high repetition basket fed but that was also because we had a lot of people on court you know it was born out of need as well as the right way but there was nothing wrong with it yeah. um probably more out in, i mean i had an interesting story out in australia i worked for this bloke um who, who basically married up a whole uh, bus company with his tennis club and the buses would yeah he had a bus company and and literally we used to we used to go out on the buses every night and pick all the kids up. So rather than get on the bus home, the bus would be the tennis bus. We'd pick the kids up, bring them back to the tennis club, coach them, and then the bus would then drop them off in the communities again. And wow. he, yeah, and he had it in the bus. The bus it was called I cannot remember the name, but the bus depot was at the tennis club. Um, and he had a few different tennis clubs where we used to drop the kids off. And it, you know, he's and it was that idea of the business mind of actually what the service we're providing and the connection with the community. And that, you know, I've not touched on it, Charlie, but that's innovation, you know, yeah, yeah, innovation, yeah. which is a, a role I absolutely loved in my, uh, when I was last working in the corporate world, but that is coming up with a, you know, what's the problem? Well, we've got kids all over the shop. How do we get, well, let's put a bus on. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it in other countries as well. I remember out in Spain, there was a couple of guys that got some players and they were bussing around Spain in tournaments and stuff. So, just finding the best way to deliver what you want to deliver, isn't it? Yeah. With yeah. what you've got. What have you got and what do you want to achieve? Come on. Now then, I, just a couple more coaching questions before we yeah. come on to the excellent programme at Chesterfield. <laughs> I know you're, you're the reigning LTA Midlands Development Coach of the Year. You know, <laughs> a great achievement. What in your mind makes a good coach or tennis service provider, whatever we label it, what yeah, makes... Don't put labels on stuff, Rob. <laughs> um, I'll relate it to the award I won. And again, it's something I keep harping on about the advice I'm giving coaches at our club and what I'm talking about. The easiest way I can define it is, is a bike, is a, um, a bike without gears can only go so fast and can only go, can't, maybe we can't go up hills, may struggle downhill. Um, it, it's only got one speed. So a BMX bike can only go one speed. And I see a lot of what I need or what I need to be in my job and the coach that I need around me a lot of the time needs to be able to do lots of different stuff. So they need more than one gear. They need a cog that they can transfer so they can go from delivering a, a disability session to delivering a school session. But what you'll require for those two different sessions are completely different gears. And I, and I, 
and I strongly think that people should experiment with what gears they've got to to harness them, but also experiment with what they haven't got. Doing especially in a club environment where it needs to be so varied. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that completely differs. I understand to a say a high performance environment where I imagine you do just stick at one gear and you just oil that gear up and you just stick at one level all the time. But we as club coaches can go from such varied sessions. Uh, and my biggest gripe with the coaches that I've worked with or what I've tried to develop is the gears ratio. They just haven't got enough gears for me. Yeah. They're too one-dimensional. Um, so you, so you, be want, my... you want someone who can be do so many different things because that's what the job demands in that 100%. development. Yeah, hundred percent. We've already touched on it. There, like the, the likes of being able to do off court, you know, the marketing, the financial side of things, being able to create a schools program, you know, the gears that allow you to go uphill and downhill and be able to, you know, that that that's my way of terming, you know, describing it to people and what I'm looking for and what I feel like I need to work on. Yeah, I mean, a similar sort of vein from a question point of view, and I I know again it's a difficult one because there's so many different sorts of pupil, but what characteristics are you looking for in a pupil who turns up? Yeah, I thought about this question and I thought you'd ask me something similar to this. Um, I'll flip the question round on you, Rob. I don't think there is a perfect pupil or what I'm looking for. I think the coach has got to find out what that pupil, every pupil's got the ability to be a perfect pupil if the coach can adapt yeah. to deliver yeah. what they require. I think too often we're too straight too one-dimensional that we're going to feed balls and we're going to work on the forehand but not every child or adult comes into a session that might not be their goal and therefore you'll consider them to be a not your perfect pupil but I think that's possibly the coach not widening their view to understand as soon as you engage in what the, your pupil wants you'll suddenly find you'll you'll make progress and then actually you'll find that okay they probably were the perfect pupil. This to me is key Charlie I think that and and great Great to flip that question around. I think to me it is what does that child want to achieve or yeah. what does that parent want for that child to achieve? And it's not well, always conflict, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think that um like and, and it, when we come back to the marketing world, which I came from, often we'd have meetings and we'd talk about activity, and the wise person in the room would say, Hang on a minute, let's go back to the beginning. What is it we're looking to achieve here before we do this wild and wacky idea? And is it going to contribute to what we want to achieve? And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting for me, who's more new to this coaching role. But some parents, they just want the children to spend an hour away from a PlayStation. The yeah, objective yeah, yeah. is to get that child away. So maybe they're not technically having the best strokes or whatever. But if they're away and they're enjoying it and they're getting fresh air, and they're getting those things that exercise does for you, they're not going to become a competitive player potentially, but that's okay because it's fulfilling an objective. If, if yeah. the objective is for that child to play tournaments to compete, then you want them to have a you know an experience that they're not going to be blown away by that. So you you know that the perfect people may therefore need more technical development, etc. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I don't let the um, I think the expressions don't let the dog. Uh, the tail wag the dog or something along those lines that yeah. the idea is that you're not going to go into every session and let every person tell you what the, how they want to be coached and stuff and the good coaches accept what they're but maybe guide them towards what they think their potential might be so they might come into a session saying i just want to go off the playstation and have a bit of fun 
but actually over time, if you're able to show them what improvement feels like, they may value that because they see improvement on a PlayStation. If you can relate it to that, then they maybe go, well, actually, I do want to improve. But if you'd have thrown that I'm on the week one, they'd have said, no, I don't want to improve. And then suddenly it might turn into a player that's going to, but it's just that transition and understanding, I believe. Come on, and this is what this is what coaches are. This, you know, to, to give us another uh, thing that we do, we get kids into fresh air, we get kids out, we get them exercising, we get them fit, we get them the things that come with that. Yeah, and it's the fun bit, isn't it? And that's the bit you can't you cannot beat a session where anyone. And I mean, I've got old, I've got a lot of old players who are wanting lessons at the minute because they can't play together because of the social distance, you know, the, the limits. And they just want to come and have fun. And young people, the best thing is sending them away from your tennis club and it owns back to what I remember, going home with a smile on my face. I don't remember the days when I improved. I remember the days when I had good days and I, I remember the smiles and I remember the friendship to me. And, it's and the fun, the, isn't it? This yeah. is the key, Charlie. If we can, if our pupils come along and regardless actually of then of, of objectives and things like that, if they're having fun, they're going to come yeah. back the next time. And if they're not, they may choose to do back. something else. Yeah, so fun, fun over forehands, maybe. Fun over forehands or fun with forehands. We'll have some of that. Fun, fun leads to forehands. Now then, come on. Now, Mr. Charlie, uh, Chesterfield. For me, the things I think of when I think of Chesterfield, firstly, there's a Thai restaurant in Chesterfield which is just dynamite. Um, but secondly, I think of the FA Cup run. I think of John Duncan. I think yeah. of Kevin Davis. I think of if there was VAR, Chesterfield would have been in an FA Maybe. Cup final. I, I think of Sean Dyche. I think of that man-mountain of a defender who could eat people for breakfast. What a player he was at Chesterfield Football Club. Yeah, what a run. What Come a run. On, Come on. But Chesterfield, very much part of Derbyshire, one of our great tennis clubs in Derbyshire. Uh, for those who don't know the club, Charlie, what, what facilities have you got in Chesterfield? Yeah, so, well, I mean, it's been a development in the last sort of 50... It's been a historic club that had um, shale, shale courts for a long time. And around 15, 17 years ago, there was a redevelopment. We've got now three indoor courts, uh, three indoor courts, a clubhouse facility with a bar, changing rooms when we can use them, uh, toilet facilities, and then outdoors, we've got seven outdoor courts, of which um, five of them are floodlit. So amazing place. I mean, I played uh, Chesterfield when it was the close. There was a, a chap called Derek Wardle. I'm sure you know Mrs. Wardle, Muriel Wardle, and ah, oh, such a lovely, lovely man. And I've got such fond memories of those those shale, particularly as I didn't have many big weapons, but I could just get the ball back. And it's had so, such character, didn't it, with all the vines and the yeah. it set out, and the, it was a little bit higgledy piggledy, but it was, you know. Oh, it's amazing. But in the same way, the development that's happened there and what a facility you guys have got uh, and what a great job you guys are doing. I know I know you're a big believer in the importance of team, Charlie. And so who, who are the key members of the Chesterfield tennis team and, and how do you segment who does what? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, just to go back to the club again, just to highlight, I mean, I think it was, I looked in my notes, I think it was 2011 I set eyes on the place for the first time. And it was a, you know, it was a typical love story with a tennis club that it was this minute I stepped foot there, I just realised it was an unbelievable facility and it was a well-run, unbelievable facility. And it was just waiting to be, you know, lit. And at the time it was lit, the, the people that were in charge then, they did light the place up. It was a great, you know, and it was a journey I went on. Unfortunately, there's all love stories. I left for a period. Um, but, it, you know, you come back, don't you? You learn and you come back. 
Mate, there's nothing um, wrong with that. I, I went back to I went back to Carling three times. I you know I left and went back. I was like a yo-yo. I'm yeah. sure they when that yo-yo is going to return again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you have to leave to, to understand what's important to you, and you have to learn yeah. new skills, yeah. and then you bring those skills back. But we're very much three three years ago, I think it was me, Johnny, and Andy took over what you'd term the head coach role together, and very much with a vision, a very open blank. But they were at a point of uh, needed a new direction, um, needed a new direction, but it was a blank canvas. The committee were very open to what we wanted to do. All they wanted was commitment and uh, energy. And if, if you were up for that, they wanted us to go for it. Key roles there between me, Johnny and Andrew, as I say, it's a partnership. It's not one figurehead, but we, we, we divide responsibilities around. So, you know, I, I follow up a lot more on the programme side of things and offer that little bit more connection, you know, with the committee and key stakeholders. Johnny's a lot more around the financials. You'll not see a lot of Johnny. He's very much heading a computer a lot of the time. He does all the real dirty stuff that has to be done. And Andy's the, the local the local hero. Anyone who knows, and everyone knows Andy in Chesterfield. And he's, a, you know, he's, a pro, he's been there since he was probably 2017. Sorry, since he was 17. Uh, you know, he's I think he's 31 now. So he's a local hero. He'll never leave. He'll never leave. They'll never want him to go. But he offers that complete community feel, you know, and across the three of us, we have a completely different wide set of skills. Individually, we'd probably be good. But together, we've always said that we would work better as a team and that we would help. And we felt that was a better way of moving forward and as we could do more together. Isn't that brilliant? I know, you know, I've done all sorts of these psychometric tests over the years at various different places. And I think I never quite get them because, as Richard Ashcroft said, you're a million different people from one day to the next. But nonetheless, yeah. I think the point of what they're getting at with high-performing teams is is that it takes different strokes for different folks. You need different strengths to put together yeah. the jigsaw puzzle of a, of a really high-performing team. And I guess what you've just explained there is that's exactly what's happening, is you, you've got different strengths you bring into the party. Yeah, and we're very, you know, we link, we link, we fall out quite a lot. One of the advantages of being very good friends is we. I'm, I'm not scared to tell Andy or Johnny if they're doing something wrong, and they will, they will tell me because yeah. you won't. We won't. We'll value it as a friendship, not as a. Um, it's fine if you. We'll probably argue for a few days, and then you know, like Cluffy says, after a few days, they'll see I'm right. Mate, come on, like <laughs> it, love, got to bring but, some coffee. But just on touch on that and team, it is core to that is we've got the, you know, the administration team who's headed up by Louise, so we could do nothing without their support as a reception Louise. team. You know, Louise, Louise, Caroline, Jackie, Fiona does the string in the refereeing. They've offered a lot of stability to the club over the years and they do a job, you know, they're not, they've offered that stability for people like us to be a little bit more expressive with what we've done. It's a real extended uh, team, isn't it? It's it's almost that it, it is more than just the, the coaching team at Chesterfield. You've got you've got volunteers, you've got administrators, you've got a really high a team who gets on well together. Yeah, I think it's how again we've got a committee. So we're one of those rare clubs where we run ourselves as an indoor facility, commercially driven in some aspects, but we're driven as a committee, as a voluntary committee. So again, they offer that team support. They that they, they you know, Corey, the chair person. Tori offers great support. Again, she's there for us. She, it's just about. She said, "Look, I just want you to be committed and do the best you can. And whatever you're doing, that that's fine. Uh, and you know, it's you bind it together. But I think a lot of it comes from that core stability within the reception team, within Andy, within the committee is quite core. We've got some core people in there. And then you know, 
a few wild cards who do 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 a bit here and there. And you've got yeah. all those parts working together, though, haven't you? That's that's yeah. That's I'll, yeah. Sorry, I did miss one thing. The other link, the last bit of that link, two more, is the assistants. And you'll know from your coaching world, we're not, we've got a big coaching program and our assistants make the, they make the difference. Yeah. Our assistants yeah. are part of the club. They're members of the club. They're good players within the Derbyshire. Um, you know, Jack and James, part of, big part of the boys' team, under-18s teams. Yeah. And they make a huge difference because we get them. They do so much. Um to make that friendly atmosphere at the club. They'll start, we stick them on the doors every night and they'll say hello to everyone as they come in and they just offer that customer touch that, you know, that a coach can't do because we're too busy down on the court getting things organised, but we've got somebody out there or somebody out in the car park helping. It's that they are crucial and, you know, we value them as high as anyone. But, yeah, maybe this comes back, I'm sure it comes back to, you know, the other guys too, but when you first walk through that door at, at your club as a lad and you got that friendly yeah. welcome it's friendly it's fun it's it's creating that environment that yeah and it's that first and last impression i don't know what the stat is on a first impression but if you walk somewhere and you and somebody you know and you walk up and someone says hello to you at a tennis club well on the door that just breaks that complete boundary you you've talked about it being a sterile like you know the typical environment yeah. of a yeah. tennis club yeah you know, yeah Come on, that, that, friendliness, fun. This is it. This is yeah. what it's all about. Now, you seem like a very sensible fella to me, Mr. Charlie. <laughs> now, tennis parents do, of course, really play a, a very important role, you know, because they're bringing their children along. What's your guidance for a tennis parent on how to be a good tennis parent? Wow, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one again, isn't it? Because they're playing all different roles, aren't they? They've got to be the parent who's they've got to drive them to tournaments. They've they need to act with their eyes to sit to give feedback to potentially the coach. Uh, they've got to pay for things, so they're, they're, they've got a vested interest in money-wise. It's a challenge, isn't it? I think the biggest thing, um, parents have got to understand what the capacity of the child is, I think, or what the goal of the child is a lot of the time. So understanding the child's objective or what the child's going through is important. Um some of the one of the best stories I said we had um I think I'm okay to say but Brad Brad Buckland came through Chesterfield he went on to Nottingham and he's obviously gone on to us to America and stuff but I remember his parents um they used to treat it as a journey as well so if you went to play a tournament they would go to the tournament I, I think they bought a camper van in the end and they would they go to the tournament stay in wherever the tournament was and enjoy it almost as a family as a holiday yeah now, my only, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like that they were, had Brad done well at a tournament, great. But if he hadn't, well, they'd enjoy the weekend anyway because they'd cease, you know, it was treated as a journey. Really? So there was something else. I'm picking on that, but I just think it's, you've got to pick out some of the good things that go along with it as well. Otherwise, if you're only defining it by a player getting better or worse, well, most of the time they're going to fail. And like, yeah. you know, unless they, the few people who get on to play at Wimbledon, you're always going to feel that failure. So you look for a positive in everything. That goes love alongside. That. I love that. And and if you're defining success as whether you win or lose at a tournament, you're going to have some some pretty sad times. Whereas if you're yeah. defining success as we went away with a family, hey, maybe that match didn't go quite so well, but we had fish and chips on the pier afterwards, and boy, wasn't that amazing! And oh, that seagull swooped down and stole the fish. Oh my, <laughs> you know this this is like this is. And if there's one thing that chatting to the likes of yourself, chatting to the the people we've talked to on the podcast in my role as a tennis parent 
I'm going to really, really, really try hard to, to make the, the, the children realise winning and losing is not important. It's the journey. It's the adventure. It's, you know, and I know it's really hard. It's really yeah, hard it's... to get that. I mean, saying winning and losing is not important. I mean, we do want to win, don't we? So we are balancing on, a, we're teetering on something where we want to win, but we want to add perspective to the situation. Great way of putting it. Um, but I, I just guess it's, he said, uh, they always say it's education, the parents, but every parent's always going to be different, aren't they? Because you see, like on the tour, you see some mad parents. Yeah. So, you know, but there'll be other cases where parents were very relaxed about it, allowed the player to journey. So it's kind of like, it's a mix, isn't it? It's not. It's not pure science, I don't think. I think if it was a recipe that was that was something that was repeatable, uh, everyone would do it, wouldn't they? And yeah, that's the beauty, it's isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what we, I mean, like all coaching programs, we try and harness the fact that we're going to offer a child a safe place to play initially. It's going to be fun, and like we've alluded to, if they enjoy it and they're having fun and it's safe, well, they'll keep coming back and then they'll improve, and then we might talk more seriously. Yeah. But until we get to that moment, we, you know manage expectations come on now then Chesterfield Tennis Club won the LTA Midlands Club of the Year you know runner up nationally if you were to sum up the key ingredients that led to this accolade Charlie what would you say yeah I mean look it was all it was all built on a plan it was all so it was planned but it was very much a blank canvas and we went into it we wanted to create a tennis club that was and we've said it too many times but full of fun and for me, it was all about theatre. I wanted children to arrive at a certain age, and we did a lot of big tennis parties, a lot of Halloween parties, a lot of Christmas extravaganzas. We wanted them to come and be amazed, a little bit like the old Charlie in the chocolate factory. He went to the factory, the golden ticket, and he went there. It was this magical place. We wanted to turn the facility into something magical for children so they would enjoy it. Magical for parents because we took care of the children, but also the, the fact we got this clubhouse and we made an effort to make sure they were looked after. We gave out mince pies at Christmas or, you know, we give out stuff. We'd look after them in the clubhouse. The reception team would do an amazing job on that. But also for the members, it was a magical place for them where they could come and play and there was things for them to get involved in. And it, there was the team element and there was that togetherness. Um, I guess that's it summed up. But, it, you know... It didn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in the last three years. I suspect it's been building up for the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, previous regimes have put energy into getting it to a place. We sort of just topped it off a little bit. Mate, I, I love that so much. It's Charlie and the Chesterfield <laughs> Chocolates Factory. Yeah, uh, why not? Appearing at a tennis club near you soon. And you're so right, Charlie, because, you know, you guys do a great job of your social media. And I see the pictures from the likes of the Halloween event. And I yeah. love them. And I think, whoa, man, that's that's brilliant. And it's it's not just you who's who, and the coaches who are wearing the Halloween outfits. It's the children. It's the parents. It's the assistant coaches. There's the 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 props at the club that bring to life Halloween. The lighting, everything about it is creating a magical experience. Now that isn't that different to Alton Towers. Alton Towers want to create magical experiences. Places that succeed that kids want to go to. Magical, such a lovely word. Yeah, uh, generally that's what we want. I mean, this year we bought a what did we buy? We bought a snow a snow machine this this Christmas. <laughs> I'm not sure many. I'm not sure many tennis clubs would have put that on their um, in the COVID year. That would have been an important equipment. But we bought ourselves a snow machine. We've got inflatables. We've got a giant inflatable dartboard. 
Right, um, come on, you can't move on from this. What were you going to do with the snow machine? How are you going to use that? I gonna, well, well, um, it's a Christmas thing, isn't it? But we may use it again when, it come, when we've got an opportunity, when it snows indoors. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I will pick on the, the members as well, though, what they do and the, the sort of... The, they love coming to the club to play and they play in the teams and it's, it is about that whole connection with everybody. Not just about the coach. We didn't win it because of the coaching program. We won it because of everything that we tried to invest time into. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely love it. Now then, Charlie, Andy does a, an absolutely fantastic <laughs> job with the disability program at, at Chesterfield. Can you tell us the background to that program and, and how you've made it flourish? Yeah, and a huge amount of credit there goes to Andy. A huge amount of credit and the time he's invested probably over the last 15 years in that program. It hasn't happened overnight. Um, that that area of the programme is something that Andy has always felt passionately about and always got people involved in the disability programme. Um, the, the, the sort of the way it's been worded is it's evolved, but we have three or four sessions a week for the disability players. And it's very much about um, delivering... The keys to it are the fact it's a session for the children, but also for the parents. And again, this comes back to a facility question, but we have a way of putting the parents and they it's like a support group for them. They're in the clubhouse and they're having their coffee and they're talking about what's going on. And it's very much and they're very close. They've got the WhatsApp through. They're very, you know, they're talking. And, the, and you know, again, it comes back to on court, the, the children on court or the adults. It's again about what are they getting out of it? And some of them are improving because they're improving their life skills again. Because through the way through tennis, they're improving their communication skills, or it's getting them out. It's getting, as particularly in the current times, getting somebody out at the minute and giving them some exercise is crucial. Yeah, we all know about that in the disability sort of sector. How how much that is important at the minute. Um, but I would I generally put it back down to Andy and his, his ability to go out to the community. He spends endless time, and it's not paid work. A lot of it going out to some of these centres seeing people, talking to people, and then he is like Pied Piper, they will come back. And then it's the network's very much created. And once you've got them in the network, they will stay with us because it's, again, safe and the children are developing. Andy is so passionate, isn't he, about the disability programme? And it doesn't surprise me for a second to hear you say that he's going out. You know, it's not it's not about money when you oh. have passion, is it? It's, it's about the passion for, for the programme. <laughs> Yeah, and I had to say, I mean, I'll tell you two funny things about Andy. One was a class, I had to go back to when I first started, my very first day at Chesterfield in 2011. Andy, um, Paul had gone to La Mangue with a trip. Andy took me out to a school to show me uh, show me how to do it, basically. He said, I remember going in the car and Andy saying to me, do you know what, do you know what you'll do in a school? And deep down, of course I knew, but I said, no, no, Andy, you show me what to do. We pull up at this school. Busy times, it's 2011, go into this school, sign in, reception, blah, blah, blah. You couldn't do this now. Walk into the hall, a group of children. I think we've got the nets out. We've got the children lined up. We're ready to do our tennis session. These children are looking a little start, you know, headlight. They don't know what they're doing. At which point the receptionist came in and said, what are you doing? We're here to deliver tennis. She said, no, you're not. You're not booked at this school. You're at the wrong school. <laughs> So we'd walked into a school, and this is typical Andy, we walked into a school, started to deliver a tennis session we weren't even meant to be at. We were at the wrong school. <laughs> that is brilliant. I think 
I can't remember the two schools' names, but they were very close in doing a very subtle twist on the two school names, and it was just brilliant. Mate, but the other thing about Andy is he'll, he'll be going out and you'll say to him, and this is the key to building the programme, you'll say to him, where are you going? And he'll give time up for anything. He'll give time up with, the, you know, if it's a coffee morning in town for, um, and, it's a, and it's that link again, it's that constant link. Yeah. And then they just assert, and then he's just built up that reputation and then the trust and then he just delivers from there. I tell you what though, fantastic marketing from Andy, isn't it? It's like, I'm not actually in this school, but I'm just going to go yeah. and deliver it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd think so. You've yeah, you'd been think, there Rob. For the past ten years now, haven't you? Delivering the sessions. We haven't actually, Rob. We've missed that school for the last. We haven't been in since then. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! That's yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've talked about it uh, there a little bit in, in terms of schools, Charlie. How important is the school out, outreach work for the yeah. success of? Uh, Chesterfield yeah, comes back to the plan and it just comes from a little bit of experience I was at Nottingham Tennis Centre and I, I learned from two I'll name them Dave Everington and um, Mike over there um, they were both very good to me and they they both set, grounded me but it was along the we, I learned a lot about schools there that was probably my learning curve um, and we just built a plan at Chesterfield that whatever we had to go out to the schools and build from there and that's how we brought and, it, and when we I think there's a bit of miss interpretation of what a school link is and stuff i mean we try and a school link to us isn't going in a school in summer and doing what, six weeks worth of coaching and then leaving or whatever we'll go to a school for a uh, an assembly visit or we'll go for a i've done uh, uh, careers days yes. we pick children up from our local school so we'll go to a local school and walk children home walk them to the tennis club we do so it's, it's more than just building up your coaching and some of it again isn't delivering any paid work but long term it will manifest itself into a connection which will maybe bring children back or but I, I think it's the links more than just those six weeks it's got and that's the bit that I think that there's parts of it like the LTA's latest strategy is brilliant uh, but it's got to be delivered upon in a more sustainable you know long term more than just six weeks and that, I think, is what I hear throughout this conversation is the commitment and the passion, and it's backed by a plan. You know, the plan yeah. is there, isn't it? But the commitment and passion to deliver the plan, you can have objectives, you can have strategy, but if you haven't got a burning passion to make it happen, yeah. it ain't going to happen. 100%, yeah. I mean, it's both, and it? it's a chicken and egg situation. You have your plan and you just act on it and you just go for it. But you can go for stuff if you don't know what you're doing. Well, that's also not helpful. So it's just having them both together. Um, but 100%, the schools program is the bit that's linked, that's given us that community footing, given us that drive and where we've kind of, our success has definitely driven from on the junior program. Yeah, come on, I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just coming on to it. Like the thing that I'm really excited about is getting into to primary schools and, and yeah. establishing those sorts of connections. Um, and with that, the schools that connect best with us are also the ones that when you give them a bit more, they'll give you a bit more back. And if you can engage in their curriculum, so if you, we've worked in a school, we work in a school for a period, but we'll go visit their receptions and do, sorry, their assemblies and we'll set tasks for the week. So when you come back next week, the teachers have worked on something or they've worked on a skill or it might just be something like learning the scoring of tennis or if it's Wimbledon, what to match or yeah. If you can get them to visit your tennis club as a class, it, as soon as you engage the teacher as well, you win-win because they see the value in you and they both ways. 
Oh, my God. Can't wait. And that's what I'm most excited about in 2021. Yeah. Is getting back and, and really trying to get established links with the schools, established links with the local schools here. 2021, yes. Charlie, when you guys can get back, what are you most excited about? Or is it just getting back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, two, I mean, I've struck me two things. Um, we'd had such a role for three years that we this is really, we need to go back and knuckle down again. And the first objective is to get back where we were. We were just about to really ride the wave and really go big, uh, work a little bit more on our player development. So we got the participation up. We got the, and it's sort of getting back to where we are now. I'm excited about that because I know we've done it once. So it's kind of like, can you do it again? Prove it wasn't a one-time hit. Can you go again? Uh, it's like winning the Premiership, isn't it? Liverpool can win it one year. Yeah, can you win it two? It's harder, isn't it, when you start losing players? So it's can we can we go again? Can we build it again? And then I'm excited on building on that. It's, it's another year down the line, but it's when we've got that platform again, can we then work on building our players up and starting to develop better players for Derbyshire, well, for the club initially, and then for Derbyshire. But it comes from that platform, doesn't it? And you can't, you just got to take it step by step. So that's something, one thing I'm looking forward to. The second thing is uh, we're investing heavily in our facilities. So we've got LED lights indoors. We're looking for the LED lights to get them outdoors. We've changed the courts well we haven't changed but we just repainted our courts so we're just trying to increase the facilities in terms of what we're offering um I, I, what I know Charlie the thing with it is that you know I know uh for Ashley Broomhead we've mentioned and um he talked in a, a earlier podcast about creating the environment creating a winning environment and that's what you guys have that's what you guys have at Chesterfield and you know um I'm sure you could come back and win the Premier League yeah I've sorry, I've, one more. I did have two, but I've got three now. My other one, and this is a little bit built out of lockdown. I think you realize what you miss and you realize what becomes important. And it, it comes back to what I like about the club for me is a big part of my life. It's part of my social life. It's part of it's more than just a job. Yeah. And, uh, and same with Andy, same with Johnny, same with the coaching team, the assistants all play there. We need to do, we're going to do more social activities surrounding the club to keep just because I feel we've missed it. We missed it so much when we go back and we're allowed to do it. We're going to do some hosted nights and we're going to try and just put that wrap around on it's the tennis club and it's a social club. Yeah. And I think that will engage. I've been to clubs before where I think they've done that very well. I've seen stuff like that. And it's that wrap around that keeps people engaged, keeps people at a club. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's that. But on bring that magic to the evenings as well. The magic yeah, and it's tennis bring it to the evenings. And it did, I mean, if I think of Beachy Tennis Club, you know, up, up not that far beyond you guys, and they have open mic nights, you know, they'll they'll have nice beachy. Beachy. Is that yeah, Beachy? I'm, I'm yeah, I, that was the one that was in my head. And they do a path, I think they've done a pantomime. They've done they really have and you hundred percent that was the club I was thinking of. Um, it's that that we probably miss, and it's the next level and something I would be excited about because again it's it brings it all encompassing, doesn't it? Yeah, so right. So come on. Right. Now, a couple of questions, Charlie. We always ask people these. Yeah. Um, you're put in charge of world tennis and you could launch one initiative or make one change. You know, you're yeah. put in charge for a day pretty much. But this initiative's going to stick. What would yeah. you do and why? Yeah, it's an easy one. Uh, I thought about it. It didn't take me long. They're always going on about a disparity in prize money, aren't they, in, in world tennis, female tennis, male tennis? Yeah. So a bit of a fun element on it. What I've come up with is um, money is normally an advantage in a tournament. So you can stay in a better hotel, potentially. You can see you've got better facilities, better trading partners, da, 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 da. 
So my tournament uh, is going to be the fifth major and it's called The Price You Pay. And basically it's born on the horse racing concept where the more career prize money you've earned, you actually have to carry a weight around your waist to play the matches. <laughs> the so for example, Yeah, it's a handicap event, which is based on how much money you've earned. So rather than money being a facilitator to help you normally, it's actually going to hinder you. And it's going to be the players that... Brilliant. Players that say your journeymen who are struggling in the round the world, they kind of feel the freedom of they haven't got that stranglehold of money around the neck, so they're probably going to be able to compete with your rappers, your Djokovic's, and your um, and, and yeah, it's the price you pay. Whereas your Djokovic's and your rappers, they're going to be oh, struggling to get around. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And what I love about this idea is, will they still find a way to win somehow? You know, they're going to be fascinating. Yeah. And I did think about how then the prize money goes forward. So if it is me versus Federer and Federer's got all this money around his neck and I happen to beat Federer, he has to give me that money as I've beaten him as my money. But <laughs> I then go forward to the next round and I must carry that money. It's the accumulation price you pay. It, I mean, for our for our older listeners, it's kind of like an it's a knockout style event. This isn't it in some way. It's it's got some, yeah. It's, be good, wouldn't it? It's got. We'd have to I have a lot of security. We'd have to have a lot of security for all the money and stuff from the vaults of where we'd keep all this handicapped stuff. I love it because it's magical, isn't it? It's more <laughs> yeah, than just a, lot of, it's a magical yeah, experience. Which, We'd spend a lot of money on pyrotechnics as well for player entrances. Um, <laughs> we'd probably have guest appearances, as you know, on you know people coming onto court and stuff like that. Love it, love it, Charlie. It's uh, it's a very different answer and it's a very innovative answer, and I love it. Now, last question, my friend: If you could go for a drink with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Again, yeah, another easy one. I've won a. a Grown up, my father would play Bruce Springsteen as loud as his mum would let him in the kitchen. Uh, I'd go for a drink with Bruce Springsteen every every time. I'd love to go. For, yeah. Um, born to Run, Thunder Road, born in the USA. They were all favourites of mine. And it's like, it's that growing up bit. That was the freedom, what he talks about, the freedom, the go look for things very much inspired me and I just I just think it'd be a great night out. I think the good thing is as well that he's famous for playing for hours and hours, isn't he? Oh yeah, we'd never get him off stage, would we? Yeah, it's not going to be yeah. one drink, you know, you're there for the evening. <laughs> yeah, we'd have, um, yeah, I think Chesterfield would be okay with that. We'd find somewhere that would play all night. Um, <laughs> Come on, mate, the boss, the boss. Well, yeah. I mean, Charlie, a great answer. It's been absolutely brilliant chatting. Uh, real pleasure. I've loved, loved, loved the the conversation. I just the thing that sticks with me is just that magical experiences that Chesterfield are trying to deliver. I hope that's something you know I can bring to the sessions which, which I'm delivering. I'm sure other people will find it inspiring too. So, thanks so much, Charlie. No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, Rob.